Two sisters lived on separate sides of the states. One in NYC and the other LA. They both moved to Chicago and decided to stay. Now here's their playful podcast packed with Kid Lit Parlay. Children's books. Are they really that great? Talking children's books is with Kate and Hughes Eight. Children's books. Why, what, and how? Hughes Eight and Kate will break it down for you now. Kate, I want to tell you a story. Go on. Story about a goose. Okay. Specifically a goose puppet. Uh-huh. So long ago, uh, there was an author illustrator by the name of Brian Selznick, and he was doing uh, a picture book, and he was in England doing his research. And in the course of doing his research, he felt that he had to do some sketching. And what he wanted to sketch were geese. Now, Kate, what do you know about geese? Geese are evil, and uh- they want to <laughs> kill you and your children. No. Yes. And no. Uh, so basically, he was bitten by a goose. Oh. And nearby was a bookstore and they heard about this and they felt bad for him so they gave him a goose puppet years later i was online because i was trying to find a goose puppet i had my reasons let's not go into them i put on my blog does anyone have a goose puppet i could use and lo and behold he writes me and says i have a goose puppet it was given to me when i was bitten by a goose i don't want it would you like it and i said yes and there's a point to the story kate and the point of the story is that coming up on november 18th For people who live in the region of Kansas City, there's going to be a huge event at this new creation, which is called the Rabbit Hole, which is an exploristorium, which is like a museum, but for children's books. And there's going to be a huge art auction, and there's going to be like wacky hosts like John Cheska and me and my goose puppet. And my goose puppet's going to be there in the, well, not flesh, but in the flap. And people can come and visit them. And uh, so I highly recommend anyone who happens to be in the general area, uh, please please stop by. Uh, if you're a teacher or a librarian, you can have a, a discounted ticket. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's going to be very cool. Nice. So highly, highly recommend that. And uh, when we're not talking about geese, uh, what are we talking about, Kate? I don't know anymore. Well, what's this podcast? Let's start with that. <laughs> Let's just start with the basics. Uh, Fuse and Kate. That is good. Okay. Good, Kate. Good. Yes. <laughs> that's what it's called. And we talk about... Geese. And... Gooses. No. Nope. <laughs> we talk about picture books. Oh. Uh, I'm Betsy, by the way. Oh, I'm Kate. Oh, cool. And uh, <laughs> yes, this is Fuse 8 and Kate. And there's a reason I, I started off with this story, Kate. Uh, because, as I mentioned, Mr. Brian Selznick, who was researching something, well, what he was researching was the book we're doing today. Because it was pointed out to me. We've done many a fine picture book. How many have been nonfiction? I, I don't know. Um, I think the answer is zero. We've done some. Have we? Sure. Like... We was... just did Tango. Tango is close, actually, though it's always categorized as... Maybe that's why our, our listeners were pointing out that we didn't do that much nonfiction. So we're going to do a straight up, straight up, straight up nonfiction. Now, this is hard because nonfiction in the past... We also I... did that President's book. Oh, we... Did we? Yeah. We did that one? Yeah. We did that one? Yeah. Okay, I have no memory of having done it. I remember the book, <laughs> but I didn't know we actually did it. We did it. That's nonfiction. All right, all right. So now this will be officially our second nonfiction book that oh, we've okay. done. And we've never done a Brian Selznick, um, partly because, you know, in the grand scope of the universe, he's relatively new. But this book came out more than 20 years ago, 
it is nonfiction, and it would qualify for the high standards that we hold nonfiction to today. I'm going to pull it out. Okay. There are no geese in this book. Okay. <laughs> the dinosaurs. Of. Oh. Oh, of. I didn't see the word of. Yeah, yeah. Waterhouse Hawkins. By. That guy. Brian Selznick. He's not on the cover anywhere. <laughs> That's why I said that apparently guy. at that time, he, oh wait, and now, he didn't even write it, by the way. It was written by Barbara Curley. He just did the illustrations. I didn't even know that. I apologize to Barbara Curley for that. Uh, yeah, this is a nonfiction book. It was in the biography section when I got it. Uh, you're gonna learn something today. Go do some learning. Okay. Okay. While Kate does her read, we're going to do a little background information, but not on Brian Selznick, not on Barbara Curley. Uh, we're going to do it on Waterhouse Hawkins, who was in fact Benjamin Waterhouse Hawkins. He was born in 1807. He died in 1894. Pretty darn good for that time period, I must say. Um, as you will find out from our talk, he was an English sculptor and natural history artist. He was known best for the life-size models of dinosaurs in the Crystal Park Palace, or the Crystal Palace Park, depending on how you call it. Uh, he contributed to the zoology of the voyage of the HMS Beagle, but really it's his family life that's the most interesting. Let's face it, gossip's fun. And uh, boy, did he have a lot of gossip here. So he married in 1826 to Mary Selina Green, and he had several kids with her. And then in 1835, which was like, Nine years later, he fell in love with the artist Francis Louisa Keenan, and he left his family and bigamously married her. But he kept in touch with his first wife and her kids. Uh, then he had two additional kids with Louisa. Then he seems to have been estranged from Louisa, and he began living with his son by Mary, his first wife, amidst what he described as a, quote, climax of domestic troubles. Yeah, think? And, uh, and then eventually uh, he returned to live with Mary, which seems to have been done for legal reasons, possibly. Uh, Mary died, and then he married Louisa, and then they never reconciled before her death the next year. So, complicated story about a complicated man. None of this will you find in this picture book biography. I was going to do a dinosaur noise, but I don't even know what a dinosaur noise would be. We don't know. We just don't know, Kate. This, uh, it's wordy, man. It is super wordy. I should have warned you. It's a long one. There's words. Lots of them. Lots of them. Chapters, Whole, even. Really? There were chapters? I didn't remember that. Okay. Well, I mean, they broke it up into three sections, and I'm calling them chapters. Wow. So, yeah. Okay. But, so, big old chunk of thing. First, let's start with the main guy here. Who does he remind you of? Oh. Um, well, just looking at that picture on the cover, the first thought that comes to mind is Dustin Hoffman. Oh, I was going with Mel Brooks. <gasps> Interesting. He's like the love child of Dustin Hoffman and Mel Brooks. <laughs> Perfect. But uh, I would like to meet that child. The... Illustrations apparently are based on the original sketches of the love child of Dustin Hoffman and Mel Brooks. <laughs> As he shall henceforth be known. <laughs> yep. Research. Yes. Okay, so the first chapter is 
Uh, it's called The First Age, London, where we meet this guy, Benjamin Waterhouse Hawkins. See, here we find out his first name's Benjamin, which is not on the cover, and was a big old shock to me when I learned that one. Yeah, he goes by Waterhouse. Really? Yep. So we meet this guy, and he's on his way to his workshop where he's getting ready to show some of his work. Uh, apparently, as a kid, he liked to illustrate and make like clay models of uh, animals. Mm-hmm. And that's where he learned of his fascination of models and animals and art and sure. history and all that good stuff. Except in the picture of him, like, drawing as a kid, I'm like, did he grow up in Hobbiton? (laughs) (laughs) He does look very Hobbity in this particular picture. It's the shirt. It's the the shortness of the feet to the leg, like, the proportions. He's not a tall man, from what I gather in these illustrations. Interesting. He may not have been. Um, But then I get confused because he's walking down the street with what looks like black hair and then he gets to his uh, warehouse and he has gray hair. And I'm like, how long what of a was walk, that walk was it? My God, what happened to the it poor man like a on the way? 50-year walk yeah, to get to this a, warehouse. That's a shocker. But he's building dinosaurs. Um, and he's having some guests come over. Uh, you know, you may have heard of, oh, I don't know, Queen Victoria and Prince I Albert. I have heard. I'm familiar with her work. And they come to his warehouse where uh, they think they're yeah, extraordinary. He has one of his creations is of the Iguanodon, which I Is that still a dino? I, yeah. I, I feel like that one might have lost its standing at some point. I, I guess. I don't know. And then, so I had never heard of that. And then he also had a Megalosaurus. Have you heard of a megalosaurus? I have not. Uh, these sound like fake names. Well, he takes like parts of what they've discovered so far, like the jawbone of the megalosaurus. He compares that to the anatomy of a lizard. He fills in the blanks, and voila, a dinosaur that's more than 40 feet long. Bada boom, bada bing. Bada boom, bada bing. That's how you make a dinosaur. What do you want to bet that like he's just putting random bones together? They're probably not even from the same dino, but they look good together, so he just puts them all together. Well, he has a process. He starts with a drawing, then he builds a clay model, then he builds a life-size model out of clay, then uh, he creates a mold, he builds an iron skeleton to like support the tons of weight, and then he finishes with bricks, tiles, broken stones, all held together with cement. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say this is more art than science. Uh, I would say it's a combination of both. All right, fair and high. Fair play. Uh, so here's my question, though. He's building these giant life-size models in his warehouse, but if he doesn't own the warehouse, or if he can't pay his rent or decides to move, what happens to these <laughs> giant dinosaurs that he created that weigh tons of weight? Is That's it, a good question. Is it like the new owners are like, well, I guess we're stuck with dinosaurs now. I guess now. dinosaurs is our thing now? Yeah. Because that's what the tenant had. Well, after he showed these, you know, giant models to the queen, he decides he wants to show them to uh, a tougher audience, England's leading scientists. And he Because the queen was a pansy. <laughs> she knows nothing. Well, she, she probably doesn't no- know anything. She probably doesn't know anything about science. Right. I'll, I'll, I think that's Or funny. dinosaurs. Or so, dinosaurs. Certainly not dinosaurs. So he decides to host a dinner party on New Year's Eve. He invites 21 scientists of the day. He gets, uh, you know, a, a mold built. 
and a platform built and a tent erected. And I'm like, wait a minute, how is he doing all this? This is like, where's the money coming from? Well, he gets all these scientists to come over, uh, and they all sit inside of a guano. What what what? Iguanodon. Yeah, iguanodon. Iguanodon. I have to say. That would be an amazing dinner party. I would so want to be a part of this dinner party. I mean, there's a lavish feast. There's... He gets to be in the head. He gets to be in the head. Mm -hmm. There's uh, footmen that are constantly pouring wine. Yep. For eight hours, these guys are just laughing and shouting and singing and making speeches and having so much fun. And then at the end of the night, uh, or it says by midnight, they're belting out a song Created especially for this occasion, and I want this sung at my funeral, Betsy. Okay, how's it go? The jolly old beast is not deceased. There's life in him again. I would, like I say, this is the party I want to go to. I'm going back in history. I'm going to this party. I know I'm a woman. I'll disguise myself as a man. And side note, on the very last page of this book, it's the menu. Uh, for this party that you get to... Oh my god, I love how much time was spent lavished on a dinner party. I mean, the That's invitations... Ma- oh my god. It's the, it's the invitation with the meals. Does the food look good? Because the... I'm, I'm curious oh, about yeah. the food. Does yeah. it... Ah. Yeah, it's pretty... That's pretty good for that time period. Too. Rabbit soup, oh, fish, yeah. ham, mm-hmm. pigeon pie, oh, pigeon pudding, pie. plums. Yeah, anyway. I want some pigeon pie. Okay. So then this guy decides to show these models at the Crystal Palace... Uh, you know, and the mm. the queen introduces you know, all these people come. The queen introduces the dinosaurs. Sure, <laughs> and then people are shrieking and gasping and laughing and crying and seeing like, oh wow, this is what a dinosaur looked like. And I forget because we live in a town with Sue the T Rex and there's yeah. a dinosaur like, at O'Hare Airport. My kids don't even like look at her when they walk in. Yeah, we yeah we forget what it must be like to actually see something of this magnitude and... for the first time. Exactly, I mean, yeah. and it's supposed to be like real, real. Like scientists are saying these things are real as mm-hmm. opposed to like you know giants and junk, which yeah apparently aren't real. And there's a very nice spread of all the dinosaurs that oh, he's a created. Wordless spread in mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he decides, screw Europe, I'm going to go to America now. <laughs> That's how it goes. Well, <laughs> Sorry, actually, actually, America reaches out to him. Oh, and, okay, that makes slightly more sense, I and guess. And he gets a letter from the head of Central Park inviting him to build American dinosaurs. American dinosaurs, which are bigger than the European ones, because we're better. <laughs> yeah. And he says... Uh, he, he says it was excited. America's first two dinosaurs. And I'm like, well... Uh, well, yeah, sure. I don't know about that, but <laughs> let him let him believe it. But sure. we get on to chapter two, the Second Age, America, America, where he presents his Hadrosaurus to the Academy of Natural Sciences in Philadelphia, which mm-hmm. is met with enthusiasm. But he's ready to build uh, something in New York City in Central Park, uh, you know, a, a building to hold his models of of dinosaurs. Sure. The Paleozoic Museum. So with his assistant, who is not named, which doesn't seem That's weird, but okay, sure. uh, No book for you. They get to work. Except there's this this corrupt politician in New York named William Boss Tweed. I have to say, this this, image of Boss Tweed in the book is the one thing I remember from reading this book before. (laughs) That and the dinner party shot, but... 
this just image of him, it just makes him look so freaking evil. Oh, I he's not it. a good I guy. Love, oh, he's terrible. He's but he's a big guy, six feet tall, three hundred mm-hmm. pounds, and he does he thinks money on this museum is a waste. So he decides. It's weird we've never had like a really good biopic of this guy because he was a classic villain. Well, he decides oh. to reorganize the parks department, put his own men in charge, and our poor Waterhouse. He's like, what? But what about? What about all my work? And then in the middle of the night, some vandals come in wielding sledgehammers, smashing the dinosaurs, and also burying parts of them in the park. That's what's so weird. Yeah. So poor Waterhouse, again, a a spread with no words. Silent. He's he's left looking at his demolished warehouse with all of his... His two years of hard work completely just gone. It would suck so bad. Like, you think it's bad when, like, your computer crashes and you've lost all your work for the day? This is worse. You think it was Boss that hired the vandals? Oh, totally it was Boss. Yeah, no. If there was corruption to be done, Boss was behind it, yeah. So it's there's a shot of, of the outside of him standing in the rain, but you can kind of see what New York looked like back then. There That's weren't so that cool. many buildings. I mean, there were, but they were short. And compared so to now, seeing, like, which yeah, is the just ones, a yeah. sea of skyscrapers. Exactly. And he goes to the parks department, and they're like, you know, stop wasting your time on dead animals when there's so <laughs> many living ones around. And he's just so heartbroken. Aww. And But he ends up going, he, he leaves New York, he goes to Princeton, um, where he's uh, creating the first series of paintings showing the development of life on Earth, including dinosaurs. And here's the thing. <laughs> In his illustrations that he's working on painting the wall, uh-huh. there's a dinosaur that's clearly dead because its tongue is sticking out. He's However, like, there's a dinosaur stepping on top of him, and I feel like the dead dinosaur is just going, bleh. Bleh. <laughs> if, if there was an illustration of a Monday morning, yep. this would be it. Oh, yeah. You just take that little dinosaur that's being stepped on, you put him upright, <laughs> and you put him on a t-shirt, and that is Mondays. It's, yeah. it's a very clear distinction between like his sketches into what he's eventually going to be like the final illustration yeah. but uh it's it's really funny bleh. we should put this on instagram we would put bleh. this on instagram it's bleh. the uh blehosaurus we'll just put bleh with the picture <laughs> yeah then we get to the third age the final chapter home again uh he returns to london after finishing his mural he's 71 years old the guy is dude most people your age are dead by this time hey, this so... age. <laughs> in that day and age Okay, well, He's yeah. like a million years old, comparatively. <laughs> He's as old just, as a dinosaur. You're just dead from being alive at this point in this history. He yeah. gets home, uh, and he learns that they have uh, discovered more iguanodons, and they may have walked upright, and the spike on the nose, which he thought was going to be like a rhino's horn, it actually might be a thumb, and... It's nice that he's not frustrated with this exciting new news about his favorite dinosaur. Yeah, you know? that's good that he isn't like clinging to the previous yeah. quote unquote facts that he knew. Yeah. But at the very end, you kind of see like there's a, a spread of like what the dinosaurs looked like back then and what the people looked like and then what these models that you can still visit at Crystal Palace Park in England, you know, and modern people looking at the models. But I'm thinking, wait a minute, do they see the models that are incorrect or have they taken those down and replaced them with 
what these Well, guys... this seems to indicate it's the originals. Also, probably not in Crystal Palace. I'm pretty sure that burned down. But uh, oh. the ones that were in Crystal Palace, I think, were moved out before that. So I'm sure you can see them. But there are but, yeah. geese in this book. Oh, wait. Seriously? They're... Oh, yeah. yeah. Evil so, geese. So on bitey, the, bitey little geese. On the, on the page that has the... You know, old timey versus the n- new age uh, people. Yeah. There's there's goose geese, ah! geese is on there either end. They, they flank the pages. Yep. Yes. And it ends with and while uh, his American dinosaurs no longer stand somewhere buried in Central Park, pieces of his dinosaurs remain, and that is terrifying. Yes, it looks like it's about to like come up and eat that child. It. it it's, it's like well, underneath a bench in Central Park where I mean, kids I, sketching a bird. I know dinosaurs are under the ground and, and we're still discovering them to this day, but the thought of this just creeps me out, man. Yeah, no, it's creepy. I like it. And I then like you it. have back matter, back Whoa, matter, back matter, back matter, back matter, back matter, back matter. I did not read all this. That's okay. You don't have to. Yeah. I don't think you're going to, like, with your, like, our current working knowledge of his life, we're going to catch them in any inaccuracies or anything. But I do like the last page here before the menu uh, is what he illustrated and then what we know of, like, you know, the Megalosaurus now and ah, what we know of the Iguanodon cool. now. Like, we've removed the thumb nose. Oh, what? There's no thumb nose? <laughs> <laughs> but it was such a cool idea. Yeah, so I just thought that was a nice, like, That's a nice, homage. like, then and now kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Oh, it's cleverly done, too. Cleverly done. So that's the end of the book. Jeez Louise. Ooh, nonfiction, man. It don't mess around. And, uh, yeah. And so it won a Caldecott honor, which is not unheard of. For nonfiction books to win Caldecotts or Caldecott honors, they don't tend to win the award proper as often, but they tend to get honors once in a while. Uh, Brian Selznick would, of course, later go on to win a proper Caldecott for the invention of Hugo Cabret, which was turned into a film called Hugo, uh, which is sort of an homage to filmmaking. That book was strange because it was essentially a novel, but most of it was illustration and yet was counted as a picture book. So it was very remarkable for that reason. And uh, yes, as I say, the man does a lot of puppetry. Uh, He's got a new book coming out next year um, that has been blurbed by Steven Spielberg. Wow. So look for that one coming out. It has the word seed in the title. What's the rest of the title, Betsy? I don't remember. The word <laughs> seed is definitely in the title. Just Google Brian Selzer can seed. You'll find it right away. I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah. And uh, yeah, ratings time. Okay, so this is an interesting story about a man and his obsession with dinosaurs. Right? Yes. Okay. Do I love it? No. Yeah. It's really wordy, but I, I do like the illustrations. Um... But again, this book essentially has three chapters, and that's pretty long for a picture book. It is. But maybe if your kid loves dinosaurs, you might read this over and over again. But otherwise, I don't see this as a book that you would reread. So I gave it a 4.9, just under the line classic. Okay, hand me the book, because there's something I need to see. Standards for nonfiction picture books have changed um, since this book first came out. Back not that long ago, they would have put in fake dialogue they would have put in like he thought this oh yeah they've been able to cite that um you saw fake dialogue no 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 no, neither did i there were quotes uh there were quotes but they were direct quotes uh which i think is more impressive so one thing you know they have a like back matter and that's good but they seem to have let's see they have an author's note and they have an illustrator's note they have no bibliography 
So that's a little different from how we would do it now. These days you would have a list of sources, you would have like something. You might have a timeline, but the timeline is not absolutely Rate, rating. That's needed. Get, get to your. Rating. I'm just saying that this book is not quite up to the standards of nonfiction as we hold them today. For that reason, I think it's quite good. I don't think it's extraordinary. Um, I think Selznick would go on to do greater things. I think that uh, Curly, who has done many a fine picture book biography, would go on to do greater things. I'm going to tie your rating with the same rating. A 4.9. It's a 4.9. So it's just under the line classic. It is a perfectly just under the line classic. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't <laughs> had one of those in a while. Woohoo. <laughs> Uh, letters time. Ooh. All right. So this one comes from Erica. This is sort of a Halloweeny one. It's a little late, but you know what? I still like it. So I'm going to include it here anyway. Uh, so Erica wrote, I commented on Facebook that Go Away Big Green Monster was one of my son's favorite books when he was younger. In a bookstore one time, he insisted that we read every single copy on <laughs> the shelves. Now that is a level of dedication, ladies and gentlemen, I've not seen before. We read it hundreds of times, and our copy is held together with tape. He was even the big green monster for Halloween one year. Aww. Listening to you read the last page brought back memories of my son's cute little voice saying, And don't come back until I say so! My now teenager gave me permission to share a picture of his Halloween costume, but not on Facebook, and, and she sent the picture. It's, it's very cute. But due to the fact he doesn't want it seen widely, we, we, yeah, I'm sorry, that... we will not be like distributing this widely. Thanks for finding that Go Away Big Green Monster is a classic. Thank you, Erica. That That's is a, nice. That is nice. And I, I love the idea of a kid loving a book so much that he goes into a bookstore and insists on reading every single copy on the shelf just to prove his love. That <laughs> is a level of dedication I've ever seen before. Grown up things we like. You go first. Okay. So Maintenance Phase, one of my favorite podcasts, had a recent episode that I highly recommend everyone listen to. It was about the Daily Harvest food poisoning scandal. Were you aware of this year's Daily Harvest? Okay, so Daily Harvest is um, one of those food kit, like, delivery services, right? But they're very much like, it's organic, it's blah, 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 blah. Um, they had created one that was sort of a lentil crumble. And so it was sort of a thing made with, it was, it was meatless, but it kind of tasted like meat and you could crumble it on top of stuff. It caused problems. People who ate it got severe digestive problems. So severe that many of them, hundreds of them, went to the ER. Now, the problem with cases like this is that when it's something like a food kit, it's really hard to trace where it came from. The reason that they even were able to figure out that they'd all had the same exact thing was because of Reddit. There was a Reddit thread where people were like, oh yeah, I had this little crumble. I had this little crumble. I had this little And like, it got to the point where like people's gallbladders were being removed. Wow. Um, apparently a bacteria got into it. Specifically a bacteria got into something called Tara flour, which had never been used in uh, food here in the States. Other forms of tara flour had been used, but not in like just food. So it turns out food kits don't have to be approved by the FDA because uh, they're not sold in restaurants or grocery stores. So they kind of just can slip on by and put in whatever ingredients they want. So it is fantastic. Uh, there's a whole subsection about how uh, herpes is truly the most successful virus because it doesn't kill its host. And 
other viruses. They don't even know what they're doing. But Carface, <laughs> it knows what it's doing. It's a pro. Uh, fantastic episode. Please check it out. It's on the podcast maintenance phase. It's the Daily Harvest Food Poisoning Scandal. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is a little late because I wanted to do this for Halloween, but it hadn't come out by the time we recorded. It's Wendell and Wild that's on Netflix. Oh, yes. I haven't seen it yet. It's amazing. Okay. I need to see I it. I highly recommend it. It's a movie. It stars Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele, who co-wrote the screenplay with the guy who last came out with Coraline. Uh, it's about a pair of demons trying to escape the underworld and come across an angry orphan teenage girl named Cat, which I liked, nice. uh, who has supernatural powers. It's stop-motion comedy horror film, uh, and the commentary on the private prison system is heard loud and clear. Oh, nice. Uh, I love the diverse cast, especially uh, the cat's trans friend named Raul. And maybe it's just me, but there's definitely a character who looks a little like Trump. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's heartwarming, and it's entertaining, and I loved every second of it. This is definitely one of those movies I want to watch every Halloween. So if you have Netflix, check out Wendell and Wild. It is awesome. I have heard some people really criticizing the fact that Netflix has not been advertising this well. Despite the fact that it has a all-star... I mean, isn't Angela, Angela Bassett? Bassett in it? Yeah. yeah. Like, some major names are in it, and they're just not putting the push behind it that they should be putting behind it. So, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, excellent, excellent choice. Yeah. All right. Well, we've done a nonfiction. There are some others that I want to do with you, but they're more wintry, and we're not really into the winter season yet. We're in that weird mess. So... I don't know. After Halloween, people seem to think it's Christmas. Oh, my so. gosh. I The Verizon store I walked by today had, like, the little, like, Christmas present decals. Oh, yeah. Mariah Carey has thawed and she's ready for <laughs> for Christmas. So. Put her back. Put her back in the freezer. Yes. <laughs> no. Um, so I think next week I'm going to do, we haven't done a cult classic picture book in a while and I've got, oh, I've got a doozy. I got one of the finest ones that we haven't done yet. I'm, I'm very excited about it. Okay. So, yay. So <laughs> until I inflict this book on Kate, I have been Betsy. I'm Kate. Bye. Fuse 8 and Kate is a Fuse Number 8 production. You can reach us at FuseKate8 at gmail.com. You can follow our podcast on Twitter at Fuse underscore Kate. You can follow us on Instagram at Fuse8Kate. That's Fuse Number 8 Kate. Listen to us on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or Player FM, or follow us on iTunes and rate our podcast if you're so inclined. Our music is by Haddon Kime, and our dynamite producer of microphones is Drew Atienza. Fuse 8 and Kate is a creation of Kate Atienza and Betsy Bird.